Hey, hey, this is the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm John Schofield. Joining me is Ward Carroll and special guest Bill Wagner of the Capitol. Working the board, doing Old Man Radio is Chris Ravello, Jimmy the Greek, as always. So, a uh, great podcast scheduled for today. I'll send it over to Bill Wagner, you know, who is now filing daily stories. Here we are on Wednesday. What is the scoop that you're hearing, Wags? And what can we tell the Sing Second crew? First of all, two great stories posted today, in my opinion. Uh, I wrote about Mitch West, the Navy starting safety, and John Radigan, an Army starting linebacker. They grew up together in Naperville, Illinois. They uh, played youth football and lacrosse together. It's pretty neat to have photos of them together when they're about nine years old, and then a photo of them on the field at the Army-Navy game in their respective uniforms. So I think that's a pretty compelling story that people enjoy, and I highly recommend reading the story about Navy offensive lineman Billy Honaker electing to wear number 68 in honor of David Forney, the uh, fallen Navy lineman. Uh, we lost David February 20th of this year. Uh, cardiac arrest suffered in his dorm room at Bancroft Hall. And, you know, he was a first team All-American Athletic Conference offensive guard for Navy. And uh, Billy Honaker got thinking about this because he was moved from right tackle to left guard and he's now playing David Forney's position. He was thinking, you know, in the army Navy game, I, I should wear number 68 in honor of David. And he uh, asked coach Niamatololo for his permission to do so. But then he, the tough call was to the family to ask them if it was okay. Cause Navy did not issue number 68 this year. They were going to not have anyone wear it this year in deference to Rick David Forney and Rick Forney was just thrilled that uh, Billy would do that for his son. And so it's a really positive, emotional story, to be perfectly honest. It, it, it's These are the kind of things that make the Army-Navy game special. Completely agree. And as always, we um, encourage all of our listeners to uh, get onto the Capitol website and read Bill Wagner's contributions. Uh, Ward, you know, I feel like you and I always kind of talk about this, and I'm sorry, maybe I unfairly kind of kick this question to you every time, but here we are midweek. You just have a personality like Coach K at Duke come out this morning and say, hey, why are we even playing basketball during a pandemic? Why is this happening? It appears that despite the uh, the basketball pausing of activities, that everything is still online for us to play on Saturday up at Mikey Stadium. But your level of confidence as we've reached midweek, I mean, I think we're up too far down the tracks for it to be possibly in jeopardy, right? No, that's not true. I mean, if, if somebody starts spiking, um, then it's over. I mean, they can pull the plug uh, during the movement order between the yard and the, the, the bus lineup. They can pull off at a, at a stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. You know, th this is never, uh, you know, a done deal. Um, and as we've wrestled with this matrix this entire semester, um, and I think the show's done you know, this has sort of been the the, the subtext of, of all of our coverage is, is COVID. Um, and I know we all look forward to when that's not the subtext. Um, and, you know, in parallel to what we're talking about during Army-Navy is some developments around a vaccine that are encouraging. So maybe, 
Next semester, by the time we get to spring break, this is in the review as we, uh, you know, have put it to a few of our guests. We look forward to seeing them in person. Um, so I think from Chet on down, from Admiral Buck on down, this process of moving forward has been against a safety first construct, um, testing, isolation, right? So we had a spike. Liberty was curtailed. Admiral Buck didn't want the semester to go away and send everybody home and basically replicate what happened during the spring of last year. Again, the mission areas, physical mission, leadership mission, that has to happen in person, and he didn't want to lose that. That's why we had reform in mid-August against some of the experts who suggested that that was reckless. And when we have a bubble, we're able to preserve it. The bubble was mitigated by some of the crucible that is 18 to 22 year olds hanging out together for months on end. So here we go with Liberty. Here we go with sponsors saying, I need my kid to come over so we can cook dinner and, and boom, you get a COVID spike. So Liberty's curtailed, football team's isolated. We get it under control. We're able to salvage the season with two more AAC games and looks like we're tracking for the Army Navy game. So uh, I'm not cynical about Oh, it's about the money. Um, it, you know, obviously that does matter. That's in the matrix. But I'm also confident that we're proceeding with 175 buses between Annapolis and West Point and then back again with a safety first mantra. Absolutely. And who better to get uh, this perspective uh, than our next guests who are um, the former superintendents of Navy and Army. Uh, Vice Admiral Ted Carter and Lieutenant General Bob Aslan are going to uh, talk to us probably about, and we're going to ask about what they've done at their institutions. Uh, General Kaslan, now the president of South Carolina, Admiral Carter, now the president of uh, Nebraska, how they handled the pandemic and what they've done administratively um, to put safety first for their students. So uh, a timely, timely day for this discussion um, and we're also going to be joined by Craig Washington of the uh, U.S. Naval Academy Alumni Association. So stick with us. When we come back, we'll have Admiral Carter and General Casper. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at we sing second. That's at we sing second. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Uh, great discussion, and you know, really happy to kick off day three of the daily sing second sports Army Navy Week podcast. Star-studded lineup today. We're joined by former Naval Academy Superintendent Ted Carter, who is now the president of the University of Nebraska system, and also retired Lieutenant General Bob Caslin, who was the former superintendent at. West Point, who is now the president of the University of South Carolina system, both of whom have been very high profile in their capacities and in their jobs, particularly leading their universities during COVID to say nothing of trying to manage major D1 sports during COVID. So gentlemen, first of all, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. And secondly, I'll start with uh, General Caslin. What's it been like uh, to lead the university through this very difficult time? And how much have you relied upon the lessons you learned as the superintendent at West Point to guide you through this? Well, that's a great question. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate being with you all. 
especially with my good friend and colleague, uh, Ted Carter. So Ted Carter left to, uh, Annapolis one year after I left. So I left when we had won the Commander-in-Chief Trophy and beat uh, Navy. And then the following year, Ted, uh, I'm not sure if you won the Commander-in-Chief Trophy, Ted. I think you did, plus you beat Army. So uh, we all we both left on a high note, which is a good thing. So we're going to, uh, this Saturday's payback uh, for both of us. We'll see. I'm looking forward to seeing it second for sure. Having said that, um, you know, the pandemic was really interesting because it was an opportunity to bring everybody together. We put planning teams together that were very collaborative and they were also transparent. So our faculty was involved, our students were involved. Uh, we made partnerships with the local community. And, you know, in a crisis, the first thing that's going to start eroding is, is trust. And the way you try to counter the loss of trust is to be very collaborative, be, be very transparent, to be very open and be inclusive and bring people together and just keep the flow of communication going in a large way. So we had town hall meetings and letters that went out to the parents, the students, to the community. And I, I think in, in the six months of this, we must've had about 40 separate town hall meetings just by that, that, that means alone. Uh, we got some great feedback that they appreciate the fact that we uh, were collaborative and kept uh, everybody informed of what was going on. That in itself created a degree of trust. But the whole planning effort was really a result of our planning experiences that we had in the military. And we have, we used them, not just the planning we used at West Point, but the planning that we used and understood throughout the military and all that. And the crisis just reminds me of most of, most of our lives in the military. We always seem to be in the crisis of one type or another, whether they're shooting real bullets or not. But the one thing different about this crisis, there's no real bullets being shot at you, which I think is a good thing. It's a challenge and it. At the same time, it was an opportunity to bring people together and in every crisis or other opportunities. So those of us that are keeping your eyes on the strategic horizon out there to see how higher education is changing as a result of the pandemic. And there are some opportunities. You just got to be agile as an institution to be able to recognize and move towards those opportunities. Well, it's uh, first of all, it's great to be with all of you at uh, Sing Second Sports. And uh, it's really great to see uh, my battle buddy, Bob Caslin, who we have shared the uh, you know, the fields of Army-Navy uh, many, many times together, uh, four times together. Uh, I think our record was exactly two and two matched uh, with each other. And, of course, I was there to be the first to hug Bob when they they, they broke our 14-game win streak. Uh, I think we both had a little bit of tear in our eye. Uh, uh, that was a special moment that uh, I won't ever forget. So it's good to see you again, Bob. And it is pretty fascinating that the two leaders of our service academies have gone on to lead other, you know, significant academic institutions. Uh, for my part, uh, I took over here at the University of Nebraska uh, on 1 January, and it wasn't that long afterwards that we realized that we were in a different place with a global pandemic. Uh, I had just started to work on my five-year strategy for the system, and uh, to just kind of break it down very simply, uh, we, we took this from a, a viewpoint of affordability, accessibility, uh, attainment, uh, and growth. And uh, so I, I turned my focus on how to make uh, our environment here as safe as we could for our students, make sure they felt welcome, and, and the same thing for our faculty and staff. And, and we did a couple of really significant things that uh, were game changers. The first is we declared we were going to be open, uh, you know, for in-person education. And I think, Bob, you did the same thing. Uh, not many schools did that. And it was a pretty bold move considering what we knew was coming. Uh, and we did, uh, you know, all the right uh, uh, planning. We brought in all the right checklists for how to do it safely. Uh, and then right after that, I decided we would freeze tuition rates for the next two years. I reduced the cost of our online programs by uh, seven and nine percent of our two largest campuses. 
Uh, and then the most significant thing I think we did was uh, we changed the academic calendar. Uh, we brought in students earlier. We finished by Thanksgiving, uh, right ahead of the uh, the surge here, the spike. Um, and most of our students now are back in their homes, either taking their finals remotely or all altogether finished for the fall semester. And of course, looking forward, we plan to be open again uh, in the spring. Um, and uh, we're going to do a little bit more testing than we did in the fall. But at the end of the day, unlike almost any other Midwest public university, and quite frankly, across the entire nation, we actually grew our enrollment. Uh, when I came here, we were about 51,000 students, and uh, we're now grown to 52,000. Uh, in particular, in Omaha, we grew by over 5%, maybe more significantly, first-generation students uh, and uh, underrepresented minorities grew by significant percentages across every one of our campuses. So I'm really proud of what our team has been able to do uh, in terms of making our program successful for our students. And I'll make just one other uh, comment here. Um, you know, a lot of what we do here in Nebraska, where we don't have professional sports, is really all about football. And uh, Nebraska was one of the leaders in the nation to say, hey, we think we can do this safely, we can play safely. Uh, I would tell you that, uh, you know, the people in Nebraska had a lot to do with the, getting the Big Ten to rethink about whether or not the, you know, we could play football successfully. We've done that. Uh, not all that's worked out as good as I would like for uh, the Big Ten. The, uh, the big matchup of the weekend, Michigan and Ohio State, is not happening, which will elevate the Army-Navy game uh, actually even to a whole nother level. Well, uh, it, it's good to see uh, Admiral Carter. Um, we've been in text comms since he took that job. Um, and, and most recently, uh, talking football, uh, I was blessed enough to uh, be on the sidelines during, I think it was three of the four years you were, you were at the, the academy, uh, along with, with John as your PAO. And we, we would solve all the world's problems, uh, sometimes between plays. Um, and uh, so we miss you uh, on the sidelines. Um, and I'll also just let the audience know that uh, I've known Ted since we were mids. Uh, he was the editor of the Log Magazine, which is the Brigade's uh, Lampoon magazine. Um, and he, he had it during the Renaissance when uh, it really was truly funny um, in, a, in a good-natured way. And I did a cartoon called Morty Mids. So, uh, you know, he's a Tomcat Rio. I was a Tomcat Rio. So, it, you know, I've known him a long time um, and very proud of his uh, time as the superintendent. I think he was the right man at the time uh, and very proud of the transition he's made. So, so Ted, let me let me ask you um, to talk about what Army Navy has has meant to you over your lifetime. Um, and, and then maybe if I say what what do you remember above everything else, uh, if you can give us one anecdote. Yeah, there's so many. Uh, I still uh, go back to, you know, like a lot of us do our first Army Navy experiences, plebes. Uh, in Philadelphia, one of the coldest uh, days uh, that I ever remember. And this is for a kid growing up in a small town, rural Rhode Island. Uh, we lost that game on the last play of the game, uh, kind of a flea flicker into the end zone that didn't work out for us uh, in 1977. And uh, and then, of course, all the rest of those experiences where we won the next three uh, while I was a midshipman. And then many Army-Navy games, uh, in, as you can see in my background, flying around off of aircraft carriers, uh, watching those games at sea. Uh, with your shipmates. Um, but then, uh, you know, to come back to, uh, you know, your alma mater and be the superintendent and see how uh, how much the Army-Navy game means, not just to, you know, our alumni, our midshipmen, uh, you know, the West Point uh, cadets and, uh, and their alumni, uh, 
you know, I've got a couple of really big highlights. Uh, many of them I shared uh, with Bob uh, as we were both superintendents. The, the gala is a, is an event that a lot of people just, you know, don't really get to see because it's about a 2,000 person pep rally, you know, inside, uh, you know, some some big uh, auditorium. Uh, but I think if I were to go back and, and uh, pick a special moment, uh, it'd be a moment that uh, most Navy fans probably don't prefer to remember, but it was the, the snow game. Uh, it was the second year that uh, West Point was trying to put together their win streak. This was uh, uh, 2018. Um, and uh, we had two false starts penalties at the end of the game to go from a you know a 38-yard field goal to a 48-yard field goal. I was standing right across from our kicker as the uh, snap was made uh, and the kick went up. And as I was standing next to athletic director Chet Gladchuk and I was looking across, you know, the field in the midst of the snow and the darkness, uh, I actually believe the ball was about to go through the uprights. And as we all know, it sailed just left uh, and, and Army won the game. It wasn't as much about the loss of the game. It was about how Navy fans handled themselves, how they handled, uh, you know, our kicker and how, he, you know, he took care of that and, and used those lessons to go forward. I mean, there's something special about the Army-Navy game that uh, transcends the score, transcends, you know, the win-loss records. Uh, to me, that was one of the defining moments of what the sport and what the Army-Navy Army, Navy game uh, really meant. Yeah, I think that was actually 2017. Um, and I know that because I was standing, my side judge with the down box was the guy who called both of those illegal procedures. Um, and, and so, yeah, heartbreaker. Uh, General Kazan, how about you? As we talk about Army Navies through the ages, what what comes to mind? Well, I remember that game too. I was standing directly opposite on the opposite side of uh, Ted, and I actually thought the ball was going through the uprights. And when the referee said it did not, I fell to my knees and I, I took all I could just to get back up, and I started running on the field and celebrating because that was not only the win over Navy, it was the Commander Chief Trophy. First time I think in 22 years we had received it. So, well, plus you guys had those cool 10th Mountain uniforms that were very appropriate for yeah. a snow game. <laughs> well, having been a 10th Mountain warrior myself, then I was really proud to see those guys with that uniform. It was a lot of fun, and that's what. And that was in you know in all the spirit missions before that game. Uh, we found a goat in upstate New York and we put some Navy garb on it to look like a Navy goat. We, we put it, we pulled it out at a pep rally in front of the Corps of Cadets. They went hog wild. And then I, I knew all of Ted Carter and Annapolis thought we had stolen their goat, which we didn't, but that's all the antics, you know, that go with, with the Army Navy game. The first Army Navy game I remember was way back when President Kennedy was killed and they delayed the game. If you remember way back in 1963, and then Navy won that with Roger Staubach, and then, and then uh, the following year was an Army Navy game that I watched as well, and Army came back and won that game, and uh, with Raleigh Stitchway as a quarterback, that was way back in 1964 time frame. I got a piece of the goalpost from that. I got it signed by Raleigh Stitchway and Roger Staubach, and uh, it's one of those one of those very precious things of. Uh, that we have. And then, then of course, I remember my uh, years playing football and actually having played in the Army-Navy game. Um, and what a phenomenal feeling just playing in that game. And it was over in JFK Stadium with 102,000 people. I come from the, from the state of Vermont. 
it looked like when I was standing in that stadium looking at 100,000 people that the entire state of Vermont showed up for the football game. It was just pretty amazing. Um, I played my last Army-Navy game my senior year on my birthday, and we lost. So it's the last game I ever played in my life. It was on my birthday. It's one of those things I said, I will, whatever I need to do to to um, rep- have reprisal against Navy for losing on my birthday, we were going to do. So, <laughs> so we did that. Um, you know, and then, you know, I was there as a commandant of cadets and we, um, and we did not win during that particular time. That was with Navy streak in the middle of it. And then I remember, you know, I, I went over to Iraq a couple of times and, you know, you just like Ted said, you watch the Army Navy game on a carrier. I, you know, I saw it on the, in the doldrums of Iraq uh, or many, many other deployments. And, you know, you you watch it at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning and then you lose and you got this long walk all the way back to your hooch. And, and I remember the year before I became the superintendent, I was in Iraq, actually, Joe Mattis called, called us all together, the CENTCOM headquarters in Qatar. And I watched the Army-Navy game there. It was over 2.30. We lost. And I said, I said to myself, I didn't know I was coming back to the superintendent then. I found out a couple months afterwards. I said, if I ever have the ability to turn this thing around, I'll do whatever it takes to turn it around. And lo and behold, after that assignment, I became the superintendent. When I became the superintendent, General Odierno, when he handed me the guide on, he didn't say good luck in, in your superintendency. He says, Kaslin, this is the guide on the United States Military Academy. You better figure out how to beat Navy. Boom. And he handed it to me. And so sure enough, it took me a couple of years to get there, but we finally did, uh, I think my third year there, um, or my fourth year, we, we broke the streak as Ted had said, you know, and we all had tears in our eyes for sure. And then the following year was the snow year that we had talked about before. There's so many memories of that game, not only for us, but for so many other people. You know, the one beautiful thing about the Army-Navy game is when America looks at and watches the Army-Navy game, they don't look at a bunch of football players. They look at the future leaders of our Navy and the future leaders of our Army. And that trust relationship between the American people and the military is so fragile and so important. And when they see that tenacity and resilience and, and, that, and, that, and that intensity on the football field where they, where they lay it on the line for each other, you know, during that 60-minute period, America can't help but feel good about the future of their military and that the future leaders of their military. And that is more than just an Army-Navy football game. That's a game that really edifies our military and our leadership in our military and what the future of our leadership is going to be all about. And America can go to sleep at night feeling pretty good that the future leadership of our military is in good hands. I was just going to add, you know, we, we should not lose sight of the fact that uh, in this pandemic year, where so many schools are not finding a way to get the game done, you know, where we weren't going to be able to play in Philadelphia, between the leadership at Army and the leadership at Navy, they figured out how to do this. I mean, to, to put the game on at Army West Point this year, it's a big deal. Um, and, you know, not since 1943 has that game uh, been at Annapolis or West Point, and that was last time it was, it was in uh, West Point. Uh, and uh, to, to totally agree with Bob, I mean, this is, um, bigger than the game itself. And as we've enjoyed for you know a number of years, the Army-Navy game's been on its own time slot, its own weekend. Uh, that's not going to be the case this weekend. And I would still tell you that most Americans are going to turn in and watch that game because they want to see the future leadership of their military uh, on that field. And, and point spreads and records and all that stuff matters. 
it'll be a good game no matter what. Hello, gentlemen. I see why both of you have reached the height of success. You're dressed so brilliantly in your suits and raring for the day. I'm still in my pajamas. That's us sports writers. We sit here on a couch and type and make phone calls. Um, I'm about to talk to Tony Wells, a former Navy basketball player who's a executive with USAA. And we got to thank USAA for their sponsorship this year in particular because they did not waver and kept their money where their mouth was. So uh, Chuck Gladchuck and the current AD at Army, Mike Buddy, are very appreciative. Um, General Kazan, I'll start with you. I've always wanted to ask you this. You came in to West Point as superintendent, and it was your mission to get Army football turned around after so many failed attempts. You hired Jeff Munkin, and he has been the special sauce. He's brought the leadership that you needed. I was curious, why did not someone think of hiring a Paul Johnson assistant long before that? Paul Johnson turned around Navy. Chet Gladchuck made that great move. And there's so many Johnson assistants that could have led Army before, and they went through a series of bad coaching hires that did not work out. Wonder why it took Army so long to think about going the route that made Navy use so successfully. Yeah, well, that's a good point. But it's not just being under the tutelage of uh, Paul Johnson. Of course, um, uh, Jeff Munkin was. You really need to find the one secret sauce that I knew we were missing was leadership to get kids committed to this program, committed to play to levels they never thought they were possible, to play as a member of a team, to find player leadership and to lay it on the line. And you need someone who's going to be able to coach discipline because you only get the ball the 10 to 12 times a game. And if you're going to win, you got to put 30 points on the board, which means you got to score at least half the time to get the ball. If you're going to have fumbles and turnovers and you're going to give the ball away because you don't have the discipline to hang on to the ball or you're going to have a penalty that's going to stop a long drive, you've got to be able to have discipline. And discipline not just on the, is on the field. Discipline starts in the locker room. It starts in the classroom. And then you need a coach that's going to be emphasizing why that this, this one's so important. So these guys are going to play teams. They're going to be, you know, they're a bunch of two and three star athletes. They're going to be playing four and five star athletes, but they can be a four and five star athlete every time if they lay down the line and they fight and they play as a team and they play to levels they're not, they never thought that they were, that they could ever play at, but it's the leadership of a coach that gets those kids to, com to commit to the levels of excellence to get to levels that they never thought they were possible, to lay down the line for each other and play as a, as a team, and to have the discipline not to make the mistakes and turn the ball over. And that's, to me, in my opinion, is who we needed. When we interviewed Jeff Munkin, Jeff Munkin was checked every single one of those boxes. I can't speak to the other coaches because I wasn't involved in those coaches and searches, but I, I kind of knew what we needed. And you're right, it, it had to be a Paul Johnson prodigy and but when we interviewed Jeff Munkin, we knew we had the right guy, and he certainly has produced. My last question for you, sir, is uh, obviously keeping a coach like Jeff Munkin is paramount for West Point, and obviously there were some rumors that he might be a candidate there at your school because of your presence. Uh, but he's still at Army West Point, and you know Navy went through this with Coach Johnson, and he eventually left, and. There's been many close calls with Coach Kenya Matalolo, BYU being the most notable. Uh, do you feel that Army can retain Coach Munkin? And if not, do you feel there's a good plan for who might be an effective replacement for him? 
Yeah, well, I'm, I would never take Coach Munkin away from West Point. Man, I'd have every West Point alumni disown me as their former superintendent, you know. So I didn't, I didn't, I never wanted to go through that. So, <laughs> so Jeff Munkin was safe. You know, Jeff Munkin is the type of guy, though. He's so competitive that he really wants to prove that he can win at the upper levels, that he can win a national championship. You're not just a bowl game champion. He wants to win a national championship. And I, and I don't know. I don't want to speak for him, but I just kind of sense that at some point he's going to want to be able to prove to himself and to America that he is that type of coach who can go to a power five and to, uh, and to take home a national championship. If he ever left West Point, that would be so terrible <laughs> for West Point. It would be great for Jeff Munkin, I'm sure, but it would be terrible for West, for West Point. But I didn't want to be the one that was going to drag him away because I – I'd have to look at every single one of those alumni in the face-to-face, and and I just knew that if I pulled him down here, that uh, that would not be a pleasant uh, thing to look at. So, so he's safe and sound up there at West Point, at least for the time being. Well, Admiral Carter, I'll move to you, and that's what Paul Johnson was the same as Jeff Munkin. He wanted to compete for national championships. That's why he went to Georgia Tech. Hopefully, Navy can keep Coach Kenny Matalolo. Uh, in place. Let me ask you, Admiral, the the turnaround at West Point. I mean, I think every Navy grad was thrilled about the streak and beating Army so soundly for so many years, but I think it's better for the rivalry that Army's better, and now you've got two high-level teams going at it when they play. Can you talk about that? Because on the one hand, it must have been tough to see Army rise back up, but in the big picture, you're probably appreciated uh, that Army was better. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, you want there to be a rivalry. I mean, winning 12, 13, 14 games in a row, you know, we all knew that would come to an end at some point. I mean, look at the the streak that we had against Notre Dame when, you know, we, we didn't look like we were ever going to beat Notre Dame. And eventually we did. And we, we actually beat them a, a number of times. Um so yeah, I, I applauded uh, the efforts that uh, Bob and, and West Point made to uh, you know significantly improve themselves. And of course, you know it's not a mistake that uh, their style of offense uh, mimicked a lot of what we were doing. Bob and I had long talks about uh, you know bringing the triple option back because you know our schools didn't always embrace the triple option. Um, and you know I, obviously I wanted us to continue with that win streak to get to number 15. That didn't happen. And then army put together their own streak, uh, three in a row, uh, which was not insignificant in winning the commander in chief trophy. But again, these things are slight. Malcolm Perry comes into his own uh, last year and is really, you know, by almost a singular game changer as a quarterback uh, under the same system, the same coach who had been to 12 army Navy games. And coach Ken's had 12 army Navy games about to go into his 13th. And that doesn't even include you know, the other 10 that he had as an assistant. So Coach Ken Niamatolo has about as much Army-Navy game experience as I think anybody's ever had in history. So, yes, it's great to have uh, that, that you know, those, these coaches that are so outstanding at their craft. But at the end of the day, it's the players. Uh, and again, as Bob said, uh, getting our players to buy into the system, to want to stay at a service academy, knowing that they're going to serve afterwards, uh, that's a very special formula. You need a special coach uh, that can show them that that path. And uh, let's face it, this has not been our best uh, year for Navy. Uh, we've not had a great record. We're struggling a little bit with the quarterback issue. We're going to go with the Xavier Arline, a true plebe. I think he's only the fifth in history to start as a true plebe. Uh, we had some success with our last plebe that started in Keenan Reynolds. Um, and 
you know, Xavier Arline is, uh, you know, let's face it, he's not Keenan Reynolds, at least not yet. I mean, he's a lacrosse player. He's 165 pounds. He's quick. He's got a lot to learn. I, I was impressed with his uh, learning curve against uh, Tulsa last week. Uh, but it's it's going to have to be uh, a high learning curve for uh, Navy on offense to uh, be competitive in this game. I have no doubt they're going to bring it. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Navy's defense is legit. Uh, so Navy defense is going to give Army offense a really hard time uh, on this day. And this is a game where teams don't take a lot of chances. Team that loses the turnover battle typically loses this game. So uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm really, really glad that the two programs are competitive with each other uh, as they go into this game. And last me, well, I was going to, you kind of started to answer my last question for you is what does Navy do to win this game? Because as we, you just detailed, the offense has been struggling. What if, if you were Coach Nia Matalolo and Ivan Jasper, what would you do to get this offense jumped? They're going to have to score some points here. You're not going to beat Army 6 nothing or 9 nothing. You got to put some touchdowns on the board, don't you feel, Admiral? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I would never try to pretend to be a football coach. I've said that before. Uh, I'm a student of the game. Unlike Bob, I did not uh, play football. I played hockey and other sports, uh, but I love the sport. And uh, to me, the Navy's going to have to win two of the three phases of the game, uh, you know, outright. They're going to have to win on defense. Uh, Diego Fago is uh, as good a defender as there is, and uh, hopefully he'll be healthy for this game. And then special teams. Uh, sometimes we don't talk about special teams enough. A block punt, a block field goal, uh, a big return on a, uh, on, a, on a kickoff. Those are the types of things that the Navy can bring to this. And then uh, on offense, they're going to have to be able to hold their own. And they're going to have to play all three phases of offense with uh, the fullback run uh, and dive, the, uh, the slot back, throw the ball once in a while to keep everybody honest. And then the X factor is uh, is coaching. You got two great coaches, and uh, how they call the game, how they manage the clock, uh, all those things will come into play. Uh, but Navy is going to have to be strong, as I said, in two of those three uh, on the field phases, and then the coaches have got to be uh, on their game as well. Gentlemen, I'll take us out here. Um, you know, knowing that both of you are extremely busy, and you know, again, I think it's so great that we have. Uh, two presidents of major institutions out there, ironically, who were superintendents at the same time uh, at West Point and Navy. You know, the, the only thing I'll ask as we go out and, and general, I'll give you the first the first word. What's your uh, what's your prediction uh, for Saturday? And is there a friendly bet possible on the horizon where, you know, where I see Admiral Carter on his next uh, on his next Zoom meeting wearing an army shirt or maybe you're wearing one of the Cornhusker hats you know, uh, what, what's the friendly wager we can arrange here? From my retirement, uh, Ted Carter came up from my retirement and gave me a Navy bathrobe. So I, I'm, I'm remiss for not having him wearing it right now. <laughs> so so maybe, uh, you know, if Navy pulls it out on Army's home turf here, that's worth an Army bathrobe to Ted Carter. We'll see. You know, I love that. I love that. My yeah, I was up there for Bob's retirement. I gave him that bathrobe. He put that thing on. He paraded around for half an hour. And, uh, he looked good in it. I think, you know, whoever wins the uh, the line of scrimmage, the battle of line of scrimmage is going to win the football game. And you want to know who's going to win the battle of line of scrimmage, just look at the fullback. Whoever, if that fullback on either team is can get four yards every time the fullback touches the ball, that means he's being tackled by a linebacker, not a defensive lineman. And four yards times three plays is 12 yards, first and 10. 
And whoever dominates and can get four yards with a fullback, that's going to free up the pitch. That's going to free up the quarterback going around the defensive end. Uh, and that's how it works. But you've got to establish the fullback. And whoever is going to be able to establish the fullback on whichever offense against two real good defenses, I think that's who's going to win the football game. So in the first series of each of each side, watch how the fullback runs and see what happens. And then you're going to find out right away who's going to win that football game. 17-10. Go Army. All right. <laughs> and, and Admiral, what's, uh, what's your call on Saturday? Well, as you can see, uh, I am uh, back in a cockpit here in my Zoom uh, uh, artificial uh, intelligence mode. And uh, I'm going to give Navy the edge because of their uh, brain power. You know, we're a learning organization. We've had a, a tough year this year. Uh, we have strength and big numbers and, uh, you know, in our, in our biggest ship. So uh, I am also going to predict a, a low score. Uh, I think the field goal is going to be uh, the thing that makes the difference. And I'm going to predict uh, Navy 21-17. And uh, my final word is from the sea, go Navy, beat Army. You're awesome, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for joining the Sing Second Sports Podcast. Uh, it, it's a great way to kind of reach hump day of uh, Army Navy week uh, to, hear from, to hear from both of you. So thank you for your leadership at, at these institutions, and thank you for what you continue to do. Um, and, uh, you know, let's, let's all hope for a good game on Saturday. Y'all take care. Great to see you, Bob, and uh, congratulations on your position, and uh, keep it going there in South Carolina. You too, Ted. We're very proud of you. We're very proud of you. Good luck this weekend. We'll see you. So great to be joined by Admiral Ted Carter and General Bob Caslin. Uh, we're going to head to break. When we come back, we're going to get uh, the Alumni Association take on uh, how Army-Navy is going to go this year with Craig Washington, class of 89, at the uh, U.S. Naval Academy Alumni Association. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. Great conversation with Admiral Carter and General Kazlin uh, to get their perspectives. One thing that we did want to bring everyone this week was the perspective of the Alumni Association and how they've dealt with a very interesting football season, which usually is accompanied with reunions and things like that. But um, what they're going to do uh, for the Army-Navy game itself and who better to talk to us about that than Craig Washington. Uh, Craig, if you can uh, let our listeners know what's your position at the Alumni Association and what are the plans for uh, Saturday? I know that there's maybe a, like a virtual tailgate or something like that. Uh, what do you have on the horizon here? Thanks, John. Nice to see you again. Nice to see the team. I'm the vice president for engagement. So, uh, you know, alumni chatters, parents, clubs, our shared interest groups, class supports. That is all under the Alumni Association. It's a different set. It's a different model. Everything is virtual. Um, we're spending the week this week with uh, virtual events every night, trying to just get people fired up and get people to start thinking about the game instead of, you know, their their office, like their home office, like I am sitting here in my, you know, my office trying to get work done in a virtual environment. It's a it's definitely a challenge. As we get closer to the end of the week, we start shifting towards supporting NAAA as best we can. They go into the pregame, you know, mode sets, and uh, we just start amplifying and 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 communicating as as heavily as we can the stuff that NAAA has in their in their plans for Saturday morning. It's not what I hope to repeat. Um, it's been a definitely a tough 
tough nine months here dealing with this uh, virtual environment. Uh, completely understood. And before I kick it over to Ward, um, yeah, you uh, have a pretty personal connection to not only the Army-Navy game, but to Navy still. Not only are you a graduate, uh, you worked there as the director of special events before your retirement, and you have two kids who have gone through the Naval Academy, I think two, right? And then you played football, um, if I'm not mistaken, when you were there as well. Is that correct? Well, I thought I was going to be a two-sport athlete and play football and lacrosse. Um, my desire was to play both sports. My my hero that I went to high school with, uh, Joey Papetti, some of you might, may know Joey Papetti, he played both sports, football and lacrosse. Unfortunately, I lost too much weight and I uh, wasn't able to do much with football. So I, I, I turned out to be a lacrosse player. Uh, my older brother, Mark, was a football player, though. I, I just reshaped myself to look more like a football player than a lacrosse player. You know, that's what happens with uh, 20 years removed of, of, uh, of trying to be in shape for sure. So, hey, Craig, good to see you um, this time of year. I'm mindful of what we're not doing because of the COVID environment. And particularly, I'm thinking every year I'm a bus captain. The Alumni Association puts a bunch of buses uh, together that travel from the parking lot of the stadium up to Philly. Um, and then from there, we rage right into the tailgater at Wells Fargo. And so those things aren't happening, obviously. And that's a big part of the Army experience uh, for, for me. And so um, I'm definitely missing that. I, I've participated in some of the trivia that we've done online. And so I would uh, invite uh, alums who are listening to this to, to check out the trivia games that the Alumni Association is running. They're a lot of fun. Um, and there's an app you download and so forth and so on. What else do you need from the listeners or the audience, Craig, in the months? What do they need to understand? What would be your call to action to any uh, folks who are members of the Alumni Association or grads who aren't, who should be, uh, for the balance of the holidays into second semester, et cetera? That's a great question, Ward. Uh, today at noon, um, we'll be running a VTC with our, our Northeast Quadrant chapter and parent club leaders. I would say for those that are dialed in, um, I'll have the soup and Chet and Byron on there, you know, talking about where we're at. You know, it's um, there's a lot going on at the Naval Academy. There's a lot going on nationally, but uh, informing our our members, our alumni graduates with the truth, with uh, with reality and not um, what they might read in a in a blog or on a on a website. Um, it's it's very important. Um, so. What we've been trying to do this fall is is replace our normal football operations. You know, normally we would roll out to you know Tampa or Tulsa or SMU or even you know East Carolina. We'd roll out there with our staff and and we would spend time uh, with our alumni and our parents. And we'd have the soup out there. We'd have Chet there. We'd have the Daunt there. And we're able to answer questions and and try to resolve anxieties over how things are doing. But we can't really do that. So we have to replace that with VTCs. So every week we've been running VTCs in the local communities where we normally would have been. And then uh, that's what we're trying to replace that with on Wednesday. So I would just say, when you hear uh, the soup speak, listen to his words carefully, he chooses them very specifically. And uh, when you see or read about something that is in contrast with that, that is not correct, just help us repeat the truth. Just help us to repeat uh, accurate facts. And, um, and I think that will help keep our alumni engaged and motivated that the right things are still going on in Annapolis. We are still, uh, we're still doing the right things to create uh, future leaders um, for the Navy. 
and um, and we're, we're the alumni are a hundred percent behind them, and we're going to do everything we can to make that a successful institution. Hey, Craig, thank you so much for that perspective. You know, like Ward said. Uh, when he was talking to him, you know, support for the Alumni Association, particularly right now during this very unique time, uh, is critical. So if you're if you're out there listening and you're a member of the Alumni Association, keep them in your thoughts um, as you go forward. And, and thank you uh, to you, Craig, for everything that you're doing uh, for the alumni out there. Uh, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we'll break down what was another awesome daily pod getting ready for beating the hell out of Army on Saturday. So stick with us. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. What a great pod today. Day three, hump day of Army-Navy week. Ward uh, bedazzled in his new John Paul Jones Crips marble gear. He looks just ravishing as usual. Something that you can probably wear out on the golf course or to the grocery store or to your Pilates class. Um, I like it. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Your your take on the gear as, as you are wear testing it right now. Um, to my wife's displeasure, I haven't taken this off literally since, since I bought it last week, I sleep in it as well. And I'm not kidding. It's super comfortable. As we've discussed, I don't love the, the theme, um, the aesthetic, uh, this year. I think it's a little bit obscure, but you know, I support, I'm a Homer, whatever it is from blue angels to whatever theme I'm going to go to the mid store and, and help the effort by, in this case, laying down $70 for this Under Armour hoodie. But I love it. It's, it's comfortable. I'm not going to play golf in it. I don't play golf in hoodies because, as you know, I have a huge turn at takeaway and the hoodie would get all tangled up. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah your yeah. form is exquisite. Um, well, yeah. I mean, yes. Ryan Kelly, the current club champion, better, better check his six because uh, Ward is coming. Well, no. My form's good. My scores are not. So Ryan has nothing to worry about. Love it. So, Wags, as we go forward, what other scoops, what other stories are you working on? Uh, what can you tell the readers about uh, that you'll be bringing the rest of the week? Today's article that I'm writing, which will be posted at uh, some point today, I would imagine later this afternoon, is about the uh, revenue streams from Army-Navy, which will not be realized to their fullest this year, largely because the game is not being hosted by the city of Philadelphia. It's not being played at Lincoln Financial Field with fans. That's money down the drain. The fact that the game is being played at all does mean the TV money will be realized. And uh, as I found out from Naval Academy Athletic Director Chuck Gladchuck in my interview on this was that USAA, the presenting sponsor, is, is what he, quote, said, the knight in shining armor. USAA stepped up to the fullest, didn't ask for any kind of discount because they're not getting the full impact of their presenting sponsorship because of the situation. but. USAA is uh, stayed true. I think that's noteworthy. USAA deserves some credit for that. And then we'll have some other stories. I'm going to talk to some folks who were at the 1943 Army-Navy game, the last time it was played at Mikey Stadium. Jack Galuli, the oldest living Navy football player, he played in that game. And uh, my friend Dave Broughton, former sports editor of the Capitol newspaper, longtime colleague of mine, his father was a cadet at West Point and attended the 1943 Army-Navy game. So it'll be interesting to, to get their perspective on the last time 
what happened, what's happening this year happened. Hey, speaking of uh, revenue, um, I, I know a few of us watched the uh, 60 Minutes uh, special this weekend about college sports. Um, and I have to say, like, after just talking to Chet, and all of the things that the Naval Academy Athletic Association is doing to protect sports and to realize the physical mission of the Naval Academy through all of those sports. It was heartening just to see how great uh, that organization is working and how hard that organization is working, you know, when you look at what's going on at, at, at other schools. So uh, that money from USAA, from TV, um, you know, all of that will help uh, that organization continue to uh, to fully fund and fully support that physical mission. Yeah, and that gives us the opportunity too to thank our sponsors. Um, as the Naval Academy thanks USAA, we thank our sponsors at Academy Consulting and at Mills Fine Wine and Spirits. It is the holiday season. It is the time for Army Navy tailgating at home. So please rely on Mills Fine Wine and Spirits for your spirits needs and uh, Academy Consulting for all of your needs in that arena. All right, so um, thank you very much to Admiral Carter, General Kaslin, and Craig Washington of the Alumni Association. Thank you to all of you for listening. We will be back tomorrow with another great pod and some awesome guests. For Bill Wagner, Ward Carroll, and Chris Vella, I am John Schofield. We will see you tomorrow. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.